0: Hello everybody and welcome into the Sun Devil Source Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host Max Madden, filling in for Rob Werner who is currently staying with a friend in Eugene as we drive back to Portland. It is 3.22am following Arizona State's 31-29 to loss to the Oregon Ducks. Guys, how we feeling? All I know is like, you can really see the stars out here, which is not the case
1: in downtown Phoenix. So that's nice. I'm feeling like we had to scrape ice off of
2: the windshield front and back. And when I say we, We, what I really mean is that our host, Max Madden, who is from the Pacific Northwest, as a matter of fact, uh, he enjoyed getting out and using an old uh, grocery card (laughs) because they didn't give us a scraper in the rental. Um, But yeah, we were the last people leaving the press box at Odson Stadium. It was nice of the security guard to uh, hang out and wait for us and uh, we have a two-hour drive so we just decided we would have a, have a free-form conversation with you guys talking about um this asu loss and, and about the season
0: and then i think it is important to mention that as we were leaving austin stadium uh, the security guard was nice enough to stay but they did shut the elevators off so we went down it's 15 true. flights of stairs at austin stadium you don't at, realize uh, how the high the
1: press box is until you have to take the stairs down
0: it's probably the third-highest
2: press box uh, in the Pac-12 after ASU and Washington, but I guess we're probably getting off on a
0: tangent here. <laughs> okay, anyway, getting back to the game. Uh, we've spoken about this a little bit on the car ride before we started recording. I think that there are uh, really myriad moments that we could speak about in this game that really changed it. Uh, you know, the two-point conversion for Frank Darby, a missed sack from Chase Lucas, uh, uh, you know, big plays from Nikhil Herring, you know, Benjamin, Justin Herbert. Uh, if, if there was one key sequence that you guys felt really impacted this game the most in a, in a game full of them, uh, which one would you pick? Um, I think ASU giving up the touchdown at the end
1: of the first half where Oregon went 70-some-odd yards and 40 seconds was big because the Sun Devils were not playing well in the first half. They were getting outgained by like 150 yards, and yet they had a chance to go into the locker room down a score. Uh, and they couldn't do it, couldn't keep Oregon out of the end zone. Uh, but I think the the sequence that might have been even bigger was after ASU made it 28-23, pulled within five. Jack breaking the sequences. <laughs> That's right. Uh, ASU gives up the big kickoff return, and then they gave up a couple long handoffs right after that that allowed Oregon to get into field goal range and make it an eight-point game which kind of stymied some of ASU's momentum. Because up until that point, they had been really good defensively in the second half. And it felt like once they got it down to five, if they could have gotten one more stop, got the ball back, they might have had a chance to go down the field and take the lead. Instead, when they did score, they had to go for two. And
0: obviously, they didn't get it and end up losing the game. Well, Jack, you took both of mine. So yeah,
2: those were obviously the two sequences. It just felt like ASU was so behind the eight ball in this game like in in the first half even though ASU was only down by a couple touchdowns it just felt like like a 30 point game or something like uh Oregon had what 360 yards in the first half or almost that or something crazy and you're just like we're in the we're just like okay ASU there's no chance and then Merlin Robertson comes back into the game J.J. Wilson gets jettisoned to the bench, never to be seen again, and like I mean, probably never to be seen again. And, <laughs> and 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 ASU gave up ten chunk plays in the first half. All of a sudden, the second half, zero chunk plays in the third quarter, one personnel change, and it was like a totally different team. Am I wrong? Like they were stopping the run, and and um, just the passes to the running back that had been so so open earlier in the game. They weren't there anymore. And, yeah, Washington still had a drive or two, but if ASU had played even remotely as close to the way it did in the second half, in the first half, this game is totally different. But as close as they came on a couple of different occasions, they just couldn't get all the way there.
1: I think Robertson coming into the game helped. Solidify ASU's run defense a lot. That and then probably some halftime adjustments. Danny Gonzalez talked about how in the first half they struggled to, you know, get across the the face of some offensive linemen, and Oregon was was burning them on some outside runs where, you know, like a guy like JJ Wilson who hasn't played in six weeks, whatever it's been, wasn't keeping containment. So those factors coming together, it took away Oregon's ability to run the ball, which then it's like we talked about on the Thursday podcast. When Oregon can't run the ball, they don't have much of an offensive rhythm. They really have to rely on big plays. And the Sun Devils, even with Cam Phillips as a freshman making a start in the secondary and some other young guys back there in the second half, did a good job preventing those things from happening.
0: Yeah, and those are a couple guys uh, that you just talked about, Jack, that had a pretty big impact on the game today for ASU's uh, secondary. Cam Phillips, of course, making his start today, and then Evan Fields making his first start this season. I think that early on in the game we were hearing Evan Fields' name uh, over and over again in terms of him making a lot of tackles, and I know that Danny Gonzalez after the game said that Cam Phillips, you know, asserted himself, and and to me, I don't know how you guys read his comments after the game, but it almost sounds like Cam Phillips has a very strong chance to actually, uh, you know, see – I'd like get a decent chance to play, uh, regardless of, of the health of some other guys in the secondary. But how did you guys grade both Phillips uh, and Evan Fields' performances uh, this evening?
2: So Gonzalez's comments about Phillips were, were interesting. I, I, in my analysis that I wrote about the game, I said this was sort of like a microcosm of ASU season. And also it represented a changing of the guard. It was like the dissipation of the Todd Graham era, which was so dysfunctional and bad defensively, as it was basically being replaced by Danny Gonzalez, which is so structurally solid and and well-conceived in terms of what they're trying to do. They have these freshmen, six freshmen, starting in the second half, once they got Robertson back, and they were playing so well and then you have this senior in Wilson who's, and he hasn't played in six weeks, I get it and all that, but the game really shouldn't be that slow for him, given that he's played a lot more than other guys in his career, um, and yet it was, and, and it was like, okay, ASU's going to miss Ronell Wren probably, but Ronell Wren didn't really play all that great in a lot of games, certainly nowhere near his, his potential. And other than that, what's ASU really going to be losing from its defense? I, I think, you know, Jalen Harvey was good, but Evan Fields has probably got more potential than him. And he's not all the way there yet, but if you look at what Evan Fields did in terms of his improvement in the last few games, that's sort of mirrored what improvement Jalen Harvey had early on in this season. And then you're going to get a whole offseason. You probably got a good chance to get Tyler Wiley back next year, who really didn't play under. Uh, uh, Todd Graham in the previous regime. He was just kind of a, a deep reserve. And and another thing that happened defensively was Jalen Bates, who was like a mainstay for them at end all season. Now all of a sudden he can't get on the field because Jermaine Lole as a true freshman is playing so well starting and George Lee gets kicked out to play end and, and, and he's operating at a pretty high level. So you have to look at this ASU defense and be like, okay, like. It's, a, it's just a changing of the guard, like I said. The, the, the previous regime, that is evaporating. You're seeing the last bits of it, the last wispy bits of that. And that's what actually cost them in the first half. Meanwhile, younger, lesser experienced players to a large extent are actually performing at a really high level. So if you're ASU as a fan, you're like disappointed with this loss and what and what it meant for the team season and being knocked out of the race but how could you not also look at this and be like these guys are going to just be a lot better next year as a team uh, you know defensively right and and you know of course you're going to lose Manny Wilkins and probably Nikhil Harry and you're going to lose a couple offensive linemen who are you know competent players good starters but if you have a defense that can that can, that can buoy you, right, it, 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 it puts less of an onus on your offense. And it's, Herman Edwards has been saying all season, right, what's he said? Uh, defense and run game travels. You know, Benjamin's gonna be back, they're gonna have four or five capable offensive line starters back. He's, he's setting it up for what's gonna be next year and, and, and beyond in a way that makes sense. I see it. I see the big picture and I think that, to me, is this, is this takeaway that this game was, as I said, a microcosm of the transition between the two eras.
0: And talking about some big picture things, uh, we now know for sure that Manny Wilkins will not capture a Pac-12 title uh, as a member of the Arizona State football program. and. You know, he's talked a lot in recent weeks about how important it is for him or, you know, the relationship he sees between himself and the fans and in terms of, you know, the perception of, of him and how that all comes down to results in the end. I think that we as reporters have sort of a different look at it because we speak to him, you know, every week and, and we sort of know his personality and, and what drives him. But guys, how do you think the relationship with, between the fans and Manny Wilkins will evolve over the next couple of weeks and, uh, you know, beyond that? I think that
1: the last couple years, especially, uh, have given Sun Devil Nation a window into kind of what drives Manny Wilkins. I think back to the Sun Bowl last year, where he had the three or four turnovers and was in tears after the game. And, you know, this year, after the Stanford game, was holding back tears tonight he fumbles late in the game and he just had his his head down in his hands on the bench was the last guy to leave the bench when the game ended uh Ashari Crosswell as they were walking off the field together sort of tried to like cheer him up uh which you know for Ashari Crosswell it's easy to be a little more optimistic after this game because of a lot of the stuff Chris just said and the potential you can see in the defense But for Manny Wilkins, like this was it Tonight sealed And ended This whole career goal he's had To win a Pac-12 title um, And yet When he was talking to the reporters After the game um, He immediately Put a lot of the onus on himself Because he had some, some Off throws tonight The two point conversion I know Probably should have been reviewed, but he probably also could have made a better pass, got the ball out quicker there. Ball should have been out a little bit quicker. Yeah. Um, But in the post game, he's also talking about next week's a big week and we have to finish the season strong. And I'm so proud of the way that, you know, we fought at the end of the game. Like, that was his message. And I think for ASU fans, especially two years ago, like when you're talking about Manny Wilkins' legacy two years ago, I mean, he was a guy that people just didn't like who is standoffish with the media, you know, the kind of quarterback where you're holding your breath every time he throws it over the middle because you think it might get intercepted. And so for him to to change the perception of himself that much, and I think to really help bridge this gap between, you know, these two coaching staffs and these two really different styles of play and go from a guy who at times last year was having to throw the ball 40 times a game for ACU to have a chance to win to this season. If he's throwing it more than 20 or 25, uh, you know, the, it's it's a bad thing. So for all that to happen, I think has allowed fans to kind of understand where he comes from, understand his drive, understand how much the program means to him. And again, to see the emotion tonight, but for him to also kind of recognize where the program's at and how it's developed, I think is a good example.
2: Realistically speaking, we all know that fans have a, a transactional type of a relationship with players and especially with a quarterback. What have you done for me to celebrate ASU football? Manny Wilkins in that, through that prism, hasn't given ASU fans what they want. So he will not be remembered like the quarterbacks that did that, right? Like Jeff Van Raphorst, like Jake Plummer, right? even probably like a Taylor Kelly back-to-back 10-win seasons. Manny Wilkins will not be remembered in that way. Now, at the same time, all situations are not created equally. All those players had dramatically different variables and situations surrounding them. What if you give Manny Wilkins the same coordinator for four years and head coach like Jake Plummer had? And maybe, maybe better talent. A better defense, right? Then, then, how do you remember Manny Wilkins, right? Like, he only controls what he controls, and his situation. There was a lot of variables put upon him that were completely, uh, uh, un, non, non-conducive toward him being successful. He would, he didn't complain about those things. I never heard him complain about about stuff. I'm gonna remember that. I'm gonna remember as Max said a guy who, Jack as Jack said a guy who dramatically improved in the way that uh, he interfaced with reporters, and you understood like the depth behind behind what he had to say and how he felt, right? And. Okay, ASU is going to go to, you know, some middling Pac-12 bowl with a 6 or 7 win season, right? And that's that's his legacy. That's his, how he's going to be remembered. But what happened in this game is what happened for ASU this entire season. They lose to San Diego State and Washington and you think, "Uh-oh, this thing might fall apart on them." No. They come back and they win a couple games, right? Then what happens? They lose back-to-back games. They lose to Stanford. He has a terrible game and a bad two-minute drill. And then you think, "Uh uh-oh, they're not going to even go to a bowl game. Well, then what happens? They come back and they win three straight games, USC, Utah, UCLA, right? And then in this game, everyone in the building is watching that game going, Oregon's about to boat race ASU. M- Manny Wilkins was like, no, that's not happening. The rest of the team, no. Nope. Well, where does that come from, right? That comes from your culture. And that, that that's where some of that was established prior to the arrival of Herm Edwards, but they've maintained and sustained that. And the only way that happens is if you have people like Manny Wilkins as a part of your program, leading that as a stabilizing agent, right? As the example that other people look to and say, We need to come and do our our jobs every day. We got to put in the work. And that's what it's about, right? So so what Jack was saying about Ashari Crosswell talking to Manny Wilkins, it's, you know, we we weren't privy to what he was saying, right? But he was probably thanking him, you know? He was supporting him. He was being a good teammate for him because he knows, like the rest of them know, that Manny Wilkins has gone to the wall for these guys and given is given is all right and I think that's you know it's lost in it because it's again it's transactional and people are thinking about it in terms of wins and losses and what you've done for me. But I think you have to think about it in terms of are you are you improving? Are you maximizing your potential? Are you trying to accomplish everything in your power? And I think that he checks a lot of those boxes in a way that, sh- that it's important for us to say about Manny Wilkins moving forward.
0: Yeah, and with that bombshell, uh, we're going to move on to something else. I mean, this podcast is called a Source Unfiltered. So, you know, we have to provide our takes on the officiating in tonight's game. Obviously, uh, you know, when, when a team loses by two points and they miss out on a two-point conversion, everyone will focus on that play. And unfortunately for the Pac-12 conference, it seems more often than not, these sort of plays and decisions uh, pop up all over everybody's Twitter timeline and, and screenshots and videos all the time. Uh, so, of course, the, you know, the play that we're referencing, the mm-hmm. Manny Wilkins throw, as, we, as Chris mentioned before, uh, to the back of the end zone of Frank Darby. It, maybe it was a little bit late, perhaps uh, Darby got his foot down, but it was uh, ruled incomplete and not reviewed during a pretty uh, crucial point of the game. Chris, I'm pretty sure I already know what you're going to say, but uh, why don't you just say it to everybody else, too. It's
2: uh, It's officiating malpractice. I'm sorry, you, your game is on the Pac-12 network, okay, it is a game that has the ability to influence significantly, if not determine the Pac-12 South division championship, a guy catches a ball that would tie the game with four and a half minutes left roughly on a two-point conversion. It's ruled incomplete on the field. After that, there's going to be a a break before there's a kickoff. Okay, Frank Darby, video and photographs show he is a fraction of an inch in or out on the back line, a fraction of an inch. Now, it was ruled incomplete on the field, probably wasn't going to be overturned based upon what we saw. Maybe we didn't see everything. Also, that's another possibility. But based on what we saw, probably wouldn't be overturned. But they reviewed multiple other plays in the game, none of which are more important than that play. I understand. I'm not saying they shouldn't have reviewed Nikhil Harry's catches that weren't and were overturned, and they probably were the right call to overturn those. But how can you not at least take a second look at that in the abundance of caution, right? In the abundance of trying to project hey, we know that this is a serious, really important play, and we got to make sure that we're right about it 100%. Now, ASU fans are always going to look at that and be like, you didn't review that. How how do you know? And then on top of that, ASU fans are going to remember what happened in Sun Devil Stadium against Oregon in a triple overtime, double overtime game, whatever it was, a touchdown in which the – Oregon basically ends up winning the game essentially because of a touchdown that shouldn't have been. So that's a whole other you know element on top of it. But um, yeah, I mean, and this is a week in which a USC player threw a right hand roundhouse and smashed a UCLA player in the face and didn't even get thrown out of the game. The officiating—they they need to take a a complete look at it
1: going back to the to the foundation of what they're doing the thing for me is like how so given everything that's happened in the Pac-12 this year and the Woody Dixon thing and just the fact that people and fans have in their mind well we know that in the past replay things the replay process has been tampered with before and I think, Chris, you talked about this a couple weeks ago on the podcast. It's it's really hard. You can't allow people to lose faith in the fairness of the game. So when something like this happens, and I think, I, I, don't, I don't think he was in bounds, and I, and I don't think if they were to review it, it would have been overturned. But when something like that happens, it's going to only be natural for fans to say, well, maybe the Pac-12 wants Utah. In the pac-12 title game because utah is ranked and it's better for the pac-12 if washington state plays utah it just allows fans to even think that way whether it's rational or not that's what you're enabling because a you've allowed things behind the scenes to become as kind of informal and corrupt as they were and now when larry scott says well we're trying to we're going to you know change the perception and we're going to fix things and then you have an instance like this happen that that play just has to be reviewed and it's not you're only giving fans more reason to to not trust the process and the fairness of the game and that is a dangerous that's a dangerous area to go
2: it's so it's you've lost the benefit of the doubt and and it's your fault and so when that happens the, you're you're viewed skeptically you can't you can't fix that in a short span it's going to take months and years of very, very good officiating, which may beyond very, their, very unlikely, maybe <laughs> beyond their capacity for people to to begin to have renewed faith in, in the Pac-12, and that is a really bad place to operate from. And that really is the the integrity of the game, and the fairness, and the way that the game is perceived. That that is that is at the that is at the essence. That is one of the most important tenets of what they're doing and they've just dropped the ball this season in a horrible way.
0: Something that you you've said a few times Chris. I think possibly on the on the podcast, maybe more so behind closed doors is that you know, Pac-12 officiating when they're making these decisions and when these these trends keep happening, it's clear that they are either corrupt or incompetent. And but, as Jack mentioned, you know, maybe maybe the conference, you, you don't want to sound like you're wearing a tinfoil hat, but maybe the conference does really want <laughs> the Oregon, the USC, the Washington, the stronger brands in the conference to thrive because this is a, a conference that, despite they, uh, you know, likes to boast all of their different championships, doesn't you know, hasn't really made a serious dent in the playoff. Of course, Washington lost to Alabama. Oregon, uh, you know, was destroyed in the national title game. Uh, but it's just... It's it's things like that 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 that, as Jack mentioned, really, you know, lead to people losing faith uh, in the entire system. But we're going to move on. Uh, I'm sure this is you know this is a heavy topic, uh, and it can be frustrating at times. I'm sure for uh, fans of any team in the Pac-12 conference. But now we're going to move on to the city of Eugene, and and what we were able to do where, where oh, we wow. ate and the vibe. Uh, and and Chris, do you have tips for ASU fans that will be coming to a game? and uh, Eugene are going to Austin. Uh, you know, where to eat, what to do, how to get there, and all that. I think that everybody would love to hear it. Okay,
2: first of all, one of the best in-game experiences bar none in the Pac-12. Yes. My personal favorite trips, and I've done them all numerous times, are Colorado, Utah, and Oregon. They're college environments, right? Uh, it's, there's something that's more special about it to me than going to LA. Uh, even really than going to Seattle. And that's a nice venue too, Husky Stadium, it's beautiful and all that stuff. Uh, it's, it, it doesn't have the same feeling. The, the college venues, they're more intimate. The, the fans are very lively and engaged. The production value is good. Um, Eugene, can be a little bit tougher to get to. If you want to stay in Eugene, you gotta really book your travel early. I'm talking like six months or more early. And they they there are a very limited opportunities to fly direct. Um,
1: Hell yeah, nonstop from American, Phoenix now.
2: American added a direct flight actually this year that wasn't available the last time that ASU
1: played in Eugene, and not, it was only delayed three hours. So. Yeah, well, there you go. That's
2: and great. so we, I, I didn't get on that, you know, so we flew direct to, to Portland. Uh, you can also fly Alaska, but Alaska, which I think is a great airline, uh, and, and Max Mann's father works for Alaska Airlines, by the way, but as a pilot, and thanks to him. But um, they, you know, you have a layover because they, they don't fly direct. So you got you to be in uh, Portland or
0: or. Uh, Seattle, and there was just big gaps. Well, yeah, the the real problem is, is that the Alaska has two flights. I'm pretty sure from uh, daily from Phoenix to Portland, and those two flights are like at 7:30 a.m., which I got to experience. It was wonderful, uh, or 7 p.m. Yeah, and I am experiencing that the same way uh, as we head to the airport now at 3:49 a.m. Uh, just coming back from the game, and we'll have to take that flight at 7 o'clock or 8.30 or whatever it is. It doesn't really matter at this point uh, because my other option is, is landing in Phoenix at 10.30 p.m. Well, anyway, so the point
2: is uh, Portland's a great city. I personally think Portland's one of the most underrated cities in the country because it it's sort of like maybe a mini Seattle um, or San Francisco, but it has a great nightlife. There's, there's great places to eat and drink and um, and you know some low key kind of vibes, um, but it's a two hour ride. So, if you want to stay, if you know, if you want to do that, that's cool. If you want to stay in, in uh, Eugene, just book your trip early. I like there's a Korean restaurant, a Korean barbecue of people who like that. Four plus three is the name of it. We ate there a few hours before the game, then went over. But it's a really nice tailgating setting, especially if, if it's not in November, it was a little bit chilly today for that but the fans here are kind of used to it but but it it is a really great place and and i think it's one of the top
1: top three road trips that people should should try to take in the in the league and as of a month ago it now has uber it's also key um also chris six six months in advance for a hotel i don't know what you're talking about i got an $80 room at the campus in no, the night, the night before, which is just no, the epitome of luxury. I was more talking about luxury, the direct flights so. than I was oh, talking yes, about the yeah. hotel. That, that, yeah, that you do need to do. I
2: mean, you can, unless you want to pay like twice as much <laughs> money, you know, later on. I think it was like when I looked three or four months ago, it was six fifty round trip. And, and, uh, Portland was like $300 round trip, you know? So we, you know, we have four, four of our staff members that came up for this trip, but, um, no, but it, it is it is really a great trip, and I, I advise everybody to take it. Just,
0: you know, make your plans kind of early. And I, I should say that I had a pretty transformative experience in Portland. Of course, when we were wow. walking around, we, uh, you know, tried to go to Starbucks and Pete's Coffee. Uh, of course, they were closed. It was around 9 p.m. when we were there. But, and we went to Powell's Bookstore, of course, but Chris introduced me to eating bone marrow for the first time. And that was, uh, you know, quite the different texture and experience scraping that off of a bone and putting it on a piece of bread. <laughs> and so I just, I would, I just, I feel like I had to throw it out there. It was big for me this weekend. And uh, I'm really glad that Chris is going to take the microphone for me right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, like I said, Portland has
2: some really good eateries. Um, we also have the, like one of the best fish tacos. Oh, man. Yeah, also. The, um, the place is called Tasty and Alder. Alder and Tasty? Tasty and Alder? Tasty. tasty and Alder. So it's sort of like for people that are, it's like a tapas-style American. For people that are familiar with Manhattan Beach Post, our uh, LA people, or even if you're not, and you live in the LA area, you're visiting out the beaches at some point in time, you want to go to Manhattan Beach Post, and also Tasty and Alder, that's in Portland they're pretty similar so and now we're just way way off track but it's about 4 a.m. and that that stuff can kind of happen.
0: Yeah because I was wondering if if the unfiltered portion of Sun Devil Source unfiltered was just us getting delirious and saying stupid things or if it was us really just sharing our just (laughs) unabashed opinions about ASU athletics. Man I
1: like the clearly you are more trending
0: onto
2: the delirious side. (laughs) Yeah I mean The host is supposed to sort of sharpen the conversation, not loosen, degrade the conversation there. So can we please talk about
0: ASU projecting forward into the Territorial Cup? All right, projecting forward, Chris, as we move on from things that I guess we don't want to talk about anymore. Uh, The food
1: people will be happy. Yes.
0: (laughs) ASU moving on uh, next weekend, of course playing in the territorial cup against arizona who i don't actually remember the final score all i saw is that washington state put up 69 points on them and it was at least It yeah, was a lot yeah Fifty five in the first half yeah 55 in the first half that's ludicrous but it's kind of in arizona uh, you, know, you know a little bit uneven it's kind of wild to think that washington state ripped apart arizona Yet yeah, Arizona was able to completely stifle Oregon, uh, who looked decent uh, against ASU, of course, tonight. But guys, you know, if we can just give maybe a couple minutes each on, on what we think the Territorial Cup is going to look like uh, next week. Um, I'll be very interested to see how
1: ASU bounces back because uh, U of A went into the game today when Utah won in the afternoon, uh, U of A went in knowing it wasn't, it was out of the Pac-12 South race, and it probably knew it was, it was going to be pretty overmatched going uh, into Pullman. Um, For ASU, I think this is a, I I think if you, if they go down to Tucson and they win and they go to a better bowl game because of it, like I I still think that, that there are a lot of positives that can be taken out of the season, and it's still a season that, you can look back on and say, well, it was a pretty good season. Um, if they go down to Tucson and they lose, and if it's anything kind of like how it was two years ago, um, then I, it, it really changes the perspective and the mood if you drop back-to-back games. So it's an important game, um, especially for a new coach trying to build a new culture. Um, look, in the first, I, I didn't think Oregon was going to be able to run the ball against ASU's front. Um, I know Merlin Robertson wasn't in in the first half, but the fact that the Ducks were able to get such good push at the line of scrimmage at any point in this game, and we talked about on the preview podcast, that was supposed to be a strength for ASU, and it had been a strength the previous couple weeks. Um, So for them to struggle there, I mean, that's what U of A does best with Khalil Tate and J.J. Taylor. Um, I think, like, that's going to be one of the big things to watch early. And then also to see, as you referenced earlier, Max does Cam Phillips play more? Do some of these other young guys on defense keep developing after the second half tonight? Um, those are going to be the big things to watch for me.
2: Even before I get into the Arizona game, I just want to say, Jack, are you like the ASU whisperer like, in the backseat? Uh, I, I, this, this, I feel like we're in, in Sun Devil Source unfiltered, a fireside chat with Jack Harris <laughs> sitting in the back. Jack, I'm just telling you right now, if your voice is demonstrably lower than ours— on this podcast,
1: uh, you might not even be able to cover the Arizona Territorial Cup game. Oh, I, 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 oh we got editing software. I, I think we're. I think we're. I got the. I got the earphones in listening. So
2: I, I really, I really just hope that we're up. That we're on the same levels because I just feel like you are. It's like you're talking into somebody's ear in the
0: back seat of the yeah, car. Yeah, that is what it is. If, if anybody wants a visual, Chris and I are in the front seat of the car right now, just looking back at Jack and just pointing up in the air, just telling him raise to raise his voice, levels. Raise your voice, and raise your voice, It just going to It, just, just, keeps, hear it you. just keeps getting down like this. And then, and then
2: Jack is, is going talking be real, to you about this is the game be, that's coming up here. This is going to be so awkward
1: when my voice is at a perfect level and the people listening to this are going to be like, what is Chris talking about? Jack sounds just fine they're gonna know that you're talking very quietly, even
2: if you are at an equal level to us. Well, but we'll see. <laughs> now, we shall. moving on, moving on, <laughs> moving on to the game. Look, this is Herm Edwards' first rodeo in the Territorial <laughs> Cup game, okay? Yeah. This is Danny Gonzalez's first time. This is most of their first time. This is half the more than half the players' first time when you look at all their young starters. Throw everything out, throw it out the whole season. Arizona on a 100-point pace given up against Washington State in the first half. Uh, ASU being seemingly a better team, throw it all out. I've seen so many of these games where the worst team plays better, the worst team wins, the worst team gives a scare, the game goes totally unlike what you expect it's going to be like. It's the territorial cut. It's nasty, okay? People spit on each other. They throw batteries. They key your car if you got the wrong license plate uh, you know and there's hatred that exists jalen strong was talking mad mess no, about was, arizona about washington state a week ahead of the game
1: he was all over Twitter okay tonight.
2: like the people who have played in this game a bunch manny wilkins and Nikhil harry and the some of the offensive linemen they know Okay? This thing is going to be intense. It doesn't matter that they're playing for the Las Vegas Bowl ver- versus the whatever they call the bowl that's in San Francisco that's been renamed Red five Box times. Red Box bowl. bowl. Yeah, Woo. the Red Box. Get your DVD video bowl. <laughs> uh, okay? It doesn't matter if that's what it is or it may be the Sun Bowl or maybe it's an unaff- unaffiliated bowl for the team that loses, okay? This, this thing This thing matters. And Herm Edwards, even after this game tonight, he wasn't even talking about the in- about how intense that the rivalry is, or the, the significance of this game, or whatever. He was just talking about, oh, we're getting up to play another game. It's Arizona. Da da da. You're gonna understand after this one, Coach Herm Edwards. <laughs> this thing is a different. This thing is a different animal. This is your first time as a head coach. You're what, 63, 64 years old. This is your first time in a head coach in a rivalry game. You're gonna understand after this one. And if you lose this game and you end up 6-6, six and six, this season will will be, uh, to a lot of fans, uh, it's pure purebred disappointment, right? Yeah. And if you win, people will be like, okay, cool. 7-5, and five, solid, good. Winning record in the Pac-12, solid, good, done. Uh, it, this thing is really important and the emotionality of what happened against Oregon has to be immediately turned on and that's another thing that I'm looking f- to see if this team is going to do because it has throughout the whole season but this may be the toughest one to overcome yet because of uh, the, 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 the finality of that loss of the South
1: Yeah, I mean, like if you think back to last year there are a lot of people going into the U of A game that were probably on the mm, fire Todd Grant Jack, train Jack, you're, you're
0: screaming right now <laughs>
1: That were on the Fire Todd Graham train. And then after they won that game, which... Now they're on the
0: Herm train. (laughs) Which,
1: yeah, well, no. Which, I mean, last year, Khalil Tate gets hurt. ASU, like, blocks a punt, and Brandon Dawkins throws a pick. Like, that game was wild. U of A... U of A helped ASU win that game as much as ASU did. I can't keep my train straight with this. Where are you going with this, Jack? <laughs> but after that, like, a lot of fans flipped. And they're like, okay, well, Todd Graham should stay another season. They flipped uh, horses midstreams or, or trains? <laughs> they flipped everything. They, but like, that, that, the, the importance of the game, I thought, was really showed off last year and just how much that meant to people uh, going last from. Last year. Jack, right. that's every year. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You like, guys are newers to the
2: rivalry. This is every year all
1: the time. It matters. ASU needs to win. Quick quick question for you. For who? For you, Chris. Uh, when was the last time, because you're right, when was the last time you think the better team, like the clear clip better team has actually won this game? Because definitely not the last two years. Or at least the team that people thought was better coming in. Uh, like 2015 was? I think... I think they were kind of even. Uh, that you year. Got, no, you got to
2: go back to when ASU beat Arizona twenty thirteen uh, in twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen. Uh, twenty
1: thirteen is when they won in Tempe. Twenty fourteen is when U of A won the Pac twelve South. They lost in twenty fourteen despite being a better
2: team. Twenty thirteen is when they were the better team. Better team and won. won. Yeah. yeah.
1: So exactly. I mean, you're going back like five years.
2: Yeah, and that's that. That that's the point right there.
0: Uh. Yes, I I agree with everything that was said before. Uh, You can go to the Blockbuster, DVD, Rental Bowl, whatever you want, uh, and and win that game. But you cannot, if you're Herm Edwards, lose the South in Eugene and then turn around and lose uh, to Arizona to end the season. That is going to completely shift the way that people think about this season and this team and, you know, possibly even prematurely the hiring and all of this, yeah. even though, the, of course, there are other things that go into that.
1: Yeah, because if you, like, next year, okay, if, even if the defense is good, they're, they're going to lose so many pieces that it's hard to imagine overall ASU being much better than it is this season. So if, if this season ends on a sour note and next season with all the uncertainty, like you're setting up to, to maybe have a shaky first couple seasons under Edwards – Makes this game to me a really important swing game. Um, you know, I, I was sort of with you guys on
2: that earlier in the year. Like, they're going to be much worse next year. I'm starting to think they might not be. I mean, it's going to, de- yeah, it, it's going to depend, of course, on like quarterback play if they can find somebody to be decent. But look, and also, you know, Cole Cabral, he might do, you know, he might do a Sam Jones and, and, take off. But if Cole Cabral comes back, Zach Robertson, Cole Cabral, Steve Miller, Alex Lasoya, Roy Hemsley, you know, Benjamin is one of the leading rushers in the Pac-12, if not the leading rusher by the end of the season this year. He's back. You got Kyle Williams and Frank Darby and Brandon Ayuk. I think it could take a big jump next year. I don't know, man. I mean, they, they could... Be you know if they get a quarterback who can operate and not turn the football over and be reasonably accurate and make good decisions,
1: their defense should be better next year, I think. I I don't know, but you don't want to go into next year though with the fan base disgruntled or unhappy with how this season went.
2: Well yeah, and plus, you know, you, you, you risk you know, you lose another game in six and six, you risk losing a lot of the goodwill in recruiting and the way the season is perceived. I think that's definitely true. I'm not taking anything away from that. Um, even though we all did predict that ASU would be somewhere between 6 and 7 wins this season, which they kind of are, and look, they've lost close games every game, 7 points, 7 points, 7 points 7 points, seven points and now what, 2 points and mm-hmm. they've won some close games, right? They, they're pretty much, it's like her matter where it says, you are what you are at the end of the day <laughs> wrap us up, My, Max, take us home
0: uh, well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this special edition of the Sun Devil Source uh, Unfiltered Podcast as we drive. It is now 4.06 a.m. on our way to Portland. I have a flight to catch in a little bit, so we got to get out of here. But uh, for my site publisher, Chris Cartman, uh, my good friend, co-worker, and roommate, Jack Harris, uh, this has been Max Madden hosting the Sun Devil Source Unfiltered Podcast. Take care.